The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. This is the last week of our series on the Holy Spirit. I hope it's been uh, enjoyable, encouraging. Uh, and I wanted to kind of wrap up just by starting this talk on asking a question. What drives your life? What fuels everything that you do? What is the motivating factor? What is influencing you? What is moving you? What is motivating you? What is driving your life? Everybody is driven by something. For a number of people, guilt is a great motivating driving force in their life. Because of the past and things, decisions they've made are now influencing decisions they're making in the present and towards their future because of the past. Um, for some of us, it's fear. Um, anybody here got any wild, crazy fears and you just don't want to tell anybody about it? Um, I have uh, a fear of spiders. I'm quite cool with snakes, but if I see a spider, I squeal and my children laugh and then they make me go and try and kill it so I keep squealing. Uh, some of us, uh, we're, we're motivated by, by anger or resentment. Hurts in the past that are still fueling the way that we live our lives. Some people are motivated by the need for approval. Others, it's materialism and the accumulation of things. So we just keep purchasing and keep spending and keep buying new things because that is making us feel better. The truth is every single person on the earth is living their life driven by, fueled by, motivated by, influenced by something. The question is what? And what Paul wants to say to this church at the, the place called Ephesus is Christians should be fueled by the Spirit of God. The thing that is leading us and influencing us and moving us and driving our lives should be the Holy Spirit. And this is what this particular passage that we've just read is about. It starts off saying, look carefully then how you walk. In verse 15, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what, what Paul is doing in this letter to the Ephesians, he's actually been highlighting, this is how you used to live. This is what your life used to be like because you were fueled by, motivated by, driven by something other than God. But now, be fueled by, live your life driven by the Holy Spirit. And so throughout the letter to the Ephesians, he's used language like walk worthy, walk humbly, walk in unity, walk in light, walk in love. And now he's saying walk in wisdom. And what does wisdom look like? Well, he says in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. The question being raised throughout the context of this book is how are you living your life? What is fueling that living? And Paul says, if you're a Christian, what if you were to live your life fueled by, controlled by, influenced by, led by the Spirit of the living God? And so questions then uh, come raised as to, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And kind of as we've been going through this series, we've kind of been talking about different spectrums that there are. Uh, there are different beliefs and different ideas and concepts about the Spirit. 
And so even in a, a church our size, there's different ideas and different concepts of what it means to be filled by the Spirit. And so we want to look at that this morning. What does it mean when Paul says to be filled with the Spirit? What does that mean? And some ways to understand what something is, it's actually more helpful to say what it's not. So we want to start there. So I want to give you a couple of things that being filled with the Spirit is not. Number one, being filled with the Spirit is not the same as being baptized in the Spirit. Okay? When the Bible speaks of being baptized in the Spirit, that's something that happens at conversion. When, when we are, are fully made alive by God and we have come to saving faith, we get baptized, we get immersed, we receive God the Holy Spirit. You'll see in the book of Ephesians 4, so this is just a chapter earlier, he says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So what we don't believe here at LCC is that you need to be, uh, you get saved and then all of a sudden we need to line you up in a straight line and we want to now make sure that you receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, we, we won't do that here. We will say that you already have the Holy Spirit. You were baptized in him at the point of conversion. It's also not speaking in tongues. In Acts 10, I read through the book of Acts this week, just looking at every single occasion. In, in Acts, there are 10 occasions from Pentecost onwards where it speaks of people being filled with the Spirit, full of the Spirit. Sometimes tongues occurs. Sometimes there's a joyful response. But in every single case, there is testimony being brought about Jesus. Every single case. Even in Acts 2, where you see them go into the upper room, spirit falls. Even when they do speak in tongues, they're speaking in languages of other people that are now hearing the word of God for the first time. And they're like, whoa, they're speaking our language and they're giving testimony to God, to Christ. In chapter 6 of Acts, they basically have a scenario where Gentile widows are not being cared for and they bring it to the apostles and the apostles say, okay, well, what we need to do is we need to go and basically choose men full of the Spirit. And so there are these faithful men, these men full of the Spirit. So there's clearly some form of categorization, some sort of evidence that would show that people are filled with the Spirit. One of those men, his name is Stephen. It says that Stephen is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then it says that these people are coming out because he's going basically around the synagogues and he's telling people about Jesus. And these people come out and they start to try and debate him about who Jesus really was. And Acts 6.10 says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then if you read chapter 7 of Acts, he's the first Christian martyr, the first New Testament martyr. And what does he do? He basically just tells everybody how they can understand Jesus from the Old Testament. So throughout the book of Acts, we are constantly seeing the church being filled with the Spirit, but they are constantly giving testimony to God. Does tongues occur? Well, we've kind of looked. Yes, we see tongues. It's there. But it doesn't seem to be the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit. So... We would say we don't want to be a church that says Christian over here uh, doesn't have tongues, so we're not really sure how much of the Spirit they have, so now we need to lay hands on them to make sure they get the Spirit, and the way that we'll know whether they have the Spirit is whether they speak in tongues. We'd say no. That would not be where we would land. Some people would land there. We would say we don't believe that's what the Scripture says. We do believe that God can just do whatever He wants, and if people speak in tongues, it's like, wow, that's amazing. Or if a miracle happens, wow, that's amazing. We, we don't want to deny that God can do things. God does things. But we don't believe that is the primary evidence. What seems to be consistent is the primary evidence 
of the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you're a Christian, you're saved, and then the filling of the Spirit is that you keep giving testimony to Jesus. You keep growing in Jesus. It's also not necessarily acting inebriated by the Spirit. So often what people have done is gone, don't be drunk with wine, Way. but be drunk with the spirits. Like That's not what it says. So we, we wouldn't say that the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is that you start acting inebriated by the Holy Spirit. And so you start doing weird things and doing strange things. I don't think that's what the Spirit, uh, I don't think that's what the Bible is telling us. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the word filled is plerero. It means to fill up to the measure of, to fill out, to complete, and to make full. So the question then comes, well, don't we already then have the Holy Spirit? So if we're baptized in the Spirit, don't we already have Him in full? So then why do we need to be filled? And so, question, do we already have the full measure of the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes and no. Don't you love the Bible? It's so helpful. Okay, in one sense, yes. If you are a Christian, if you have repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. In some sense, you can't get more of Him. You either have Him or you don't. But then in this verse, it's kind of saying yes, but also there seems to be this ongoing feeling where you're experiencing more of the Spirit. Well, so which is it? Yes. Amen. <laughs> this word be, it's a, it's a verb. It kind of has two meanings. To be filled means you're passive. Okay? You yourself cannot fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to fill His people. But there is this other sense in which it's this present participles. It's the idea that it's, it's a continual, it's an ongoing thing. So what Paul is saying, hey church, who already have the Spirit... You also need to be continually, ongoingly filled with the Spirit. And so then the question comes, well, how do we understand the word full? So automatically what comes to our mind tends to be a cup. Who here is a half full person? Hands up. Oh, no wonder why this church is a little bit on the low on the joy side. Okay, all, all, all the depressed, uh, not happy people who are half empty people, hands up. I'm surprised half empty people even put up their hand. Most half people are like, yeah, I don't know. Okay, we often, when we think of full, we think of a cup and either it's half full or it's half empty. It's like, and so therefore it needs more. I don't think that's a helpful illustration to help us understand in what sense we can have more of the Holy Spirit. I think a better illustration is that of a balloon. When you get a balloon, it already is filled with air. Right? It's not empty. It has air in it. But you can still blow in it and expand it and it can receive more. Right? This is the kind of picture I believe that Paul is saying. It's like, yes, you're baptized in the Spirit. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit. But there is a sense in which you have Him in full, but you can still have more of Him. And you can expand in your walking with the Spirit and walking in the Lord and knowing God and journeying with God and experiencing God. So I think what Paul has in mind here is really two things he wants us to see about being filled with the Spirit. The first thing is that to be filled with the Spirit is to experience an influencing power. When someone is done for drink driving, they receive a D... What is it? DUI, right? What does that mean? 
Driving under the influence. Okay? Christian. We're not supposed to drive under the influence. But it's this, this other sense that we are supposed to live under the influence. So if you are here and you are a Christian, you should, you should be uh, charged with LUI. <laughs> Living under the influence. So he, he uses this comparison. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why not be drunk with wine? What is the point of not being drunk with wine? Well, drunkenness, as you'll see, beforehand he's been saying, live wise. Don't live according to the evil ways. Don't, don't be foolish. Live with wisdom. So don't be influenced by, controlled by, dominated by alcohol. That's what he's saying. Some of us right now are like, I hate church. I don't want to listen to this sermon. It's probably a good one for you. Like Australian culture, we are dominated by alcohol. First kid's birthday party is a one-year-old. Adults are all drinking. It's a wedding. Everybody's drinking. It's a funeral. Everybody's drinking. It's Friday. Everybody's drinking. It's Monday. Everybody's drinking. It's Tuesday. We live in a culture which is similar to that of a Greco-Roman culture. They drink and they drink and they drink and they drink at every single situation they could find. And so their life and their culture, they're constantly being influenced by, constantly being dominated by. And I'm not saying that you can't have a drink at these things. But in cultural settings, these people are constantly living influenced by alcohol. And so he says, don't do that. Why? What does it lead to? Debauchery. What is debauchery? Well, we think depravity. That's not actually what it means. The word debauchery is the same word used to speak of the younger son in Luke 15 who runs away, takes his father's inheritance and runs away from his father. And it says that he wastes his money in reckless living. Debauchery is the sense not just of depravity, but in the sense that you waste your life, you spend your life, you lose control of your life, and you waste it. We once had a drunk guy at my parents' church, and he would come. We, uh, we got a special bed for his dog that he would come. Um, he'd had a horrific life, and he would come with his MyZone bottle, not filled with communion or water, but with other things, um, and as we got to know this man and serve this man, what you learnt was that he was dominated by alcohol. And he was absolutely wasting his life. And it was sad. And so we sought to help him and, and journey with him. And you know, we bought him all sorts of stuff for his house. And, um, but it's probably the first time I'd seen someone really dominated, saturated, controlled by alcohol to such a degree that they squandered it. Everything that was in front of them, relationships destroyed, property destroyed. And so Paul is saying, listen, this is what it means. Don't be foolish and unwise. Don't be soaked and saturated with. Don't be dominated or influenced by alcohol or anything else for that matter. In such a way that you squander and waste your life. In other words, don't lose control of your life. And so then he contrasts that now with... But instead of losing control of your life, squandering your life, be filled with the Spirit. And there's an intentional contrast that he wants to make. So Paul uses this contrast between being drunk and being filled. 
He's saying don't lose control of your life by being drunk. Gain true control of your life by being filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5 is a really helpful text. This will come up on the screen. Galatians 5, listen to the language that he uses here. It's the same author writing to a different church. But I say, in verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Look, listen to this language. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. In other words, to, these lead you to lose control of your life and you don't go down the path that you want to go down. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, something else, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have been crucified uh, with the flesh, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul is using very, very similar language to say, listen, this is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. It means to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. You see this with Jesus in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4. Jesus has had this moment where God the Father has told him, and spoken publicly that this is my, my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the very next chapter, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. So don't be controlled by, don't be led by, don't be influenced by alcohol. Be filled, be controlled by, be led by, be driven by, be influenced by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to lead and guide and direct your and my life. In one way, it's not really about getting more of the Holy Spirit. Another way to think about it, and I think this is probably a better way to understand it, is that the Holy Spirit gets more of you. C.S. Lewis talks about the fact that God doesn't want to come in and just kind of fix the skirting of your house. He doesn't want to come in and just sort of just fix the guttering. He doesn't want to just come in and just do a bit of a paint job. God wants to come into your life and create a brand new person and completely renovate. And this is actually good news because your vision for your life and who you think you, you're called to be is too small. God's, God's vision for your life is to make you like his son, to make you like Jesus. Like, hey, let's just, like, you know, I'm just trying to be Christian. I don't even want to think about Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. I'm just trying to be, like, close to Shane. You know what I mean? And if I could just aim there, if I aim for Shane, maybe I'll get to Barney, you know, somewhere in there, okay? Whatever that might be, okay? Uh, there's this sense in which God has a greater vision, right? Galatians tells us, Corinthians tells us, Romans tells us. That he is making and conforming you to the image of his son. How does he do that? 
by filling you over and over again with his spirit so the spirit starts to have more control, more influence of your life. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. And so some practical examples. Think about time. It is very, very easy for us to squander and waste time. But if we're being led by the Spirit, what the Spirit does is the Spirit actually helps us to be, to be better and more useful and more effective at using our time. And so if you're struggling to fit everything you have on your plate into your schedule, come to the Holy Spirit and ask for help and He will help you how to manage your time. Some of that will be saying no to things. Because you're no longer fueled by approval, so you have to say yes to everybody and yes to everything. You're going to actually say no to some things which give value to your yes. Right? As you get more of the Spirit and the Spirit gets more of you, you're able to use your time. Think about your tongue. I, I very naturally am very sarcastic and I love to mock. It's very easy for me to do because I'm very arrogant and think I'm better than everybody else that I mock, right? And so I, when Carly met me, she thought, jerk. Um, she's married to me 20 years, thinks, less jerk, but still a bit of jerk in there, right? So what, what the Holy Spirit has had to do in me is had to grow me, humble me, and help me to be less sarcastic. But then I hang out with Isaac and it all just comes back again. And it's... But when we are under the influence of the Spirit, our tongue comes under control. We're not loose with crude language. We're not loose with gossip and slander. We care about our words in a different way. Relationships are different. Purity, sexuality is different. Self-control starts to happen in our lives across a myriad of different things. Why? Because the Spirit is starting to take control of our lives. He's having a greater influence. But it's not just an influencing power. It's the sense of an increasing, stimulating power. So in one sense, the Spirit fills us and gives us control, which is good. In another sense, He makes us more alive. And this is probably good for some of us more conservative types to hear. It's like, because some people can go to the extreme where, yeah, the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit means in control. So I've never smile. I never have fun. I never enjoy anything. Ease up, you're singing a little loud for my liking. Okay? Pretty sure demonic singing right there. Okay? There's, like, there's a sense in sometimes we can go to the other extreme, it's like it's all control. And we better not we better not get too too like worried. You know what I mean? There's a few of you like, yeah, that's that's what I believe. <laughs> Why do people go to the bottle in our culture? Now, I know there's a number of us who drink here, but I'm not saying this is for everybody. But in general, why does a lot of our culture drink? Well, for a lot of people in our culture, it's how they drown their miseries. It's how they get past their past. Their guilt and their shame, they feel it, they feel it, they feel it. The only way to deal with it is to get inebriated. Drink a little bit more, drink a little bit more, and I'll numb my past. For some, it's to give courage, right? It's like, oh man, i got that thing coming up, going to ask that girl out, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Hey! And then they're always like, man, you drunk way too much, okay? Now now she don't want to go with you. Um, it It can be used to relieve tension. It can be used to alleviate guilt and shame. It can be to remove depression and despair. But in every single one of these cases, what is drinking doing? 
Some of you are like, I didn't come here to hear a talk on alcohol. <laughs> In reality, what it's doing is masking reality. So you don't deal with the problem. You mask it. And so you, you have a hangover and then you kind of sober up and guess what's still there? Your past. So this drunk gentleman at our, my parents' church, that's what he was doing. He had a past. A past that greatly hurt him. And when he thought about it, the only way to deal with it was to put alcohol and more and more alcohol. And the Spirit says, actually, no, no, no. Here's how it works. We don't mask your reality. I come and heal it and restore it. And I make you alive to a brand new reality, which is freedom from your past. So now you look at your past and it may explain some things about your life, but no longer defines you and no longer holds you because you are free. You have walked free, separated from that defining you. So now that has no hold on you. It's not that you deny it happened. It's not that you pretend like nothing's there. It's like that happened. That was me. That was my life. But it doesn't tell me who I am. Jesus tells me who I am. That's what the spirit of the living God does. And all of a sudden you start to Galatians 4, believe that he is your father who defines you. Not your past, not things you have done, not your sexual history. It's masking reality. Alcohol does not help you grow through your anger issues. It only accentuates them. Alcohol does not help you deal with shame and guilt. Alcohol does not help us grow in our self-esteem and confidence. Alcohol does not remove our depression. Alcohol only removes our ability to grow. And so in the right sense, it suppresses us, not make us alive. And this is what Paul wants to say. is like, hey, that drunkenness, that cultural sense of how you deal with life through drinking, the Holy Spirit says, no, no, I'm going to make you alive so that you can grow, you can heal, you can move forward. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the helping hand. And when the Holy Spirit applies the truth of God to our lives, he is the antidote to guilt. He is the one who encourages and fuels me so I can have that hard conversation or go to that job interview. I know that God is with me. I can be vulnerable and honest and tell people about myself, the true self. Because your opinion of me is no longer what I'm driven by because I have the approval of heaven and God Almighty who loved me, made me in his image, and then when that image was broken, he went and died for me and rescued me, and he has a purpose and a plan for my life, and he is bringing me all the way to glory. So I can say, hey, this is me. This is my real life. This is my real past. Do you see? So being filled with the Spirit is not just about control. It's about brand new life, the Holy Spirit enabling and stimulating us in all of these ways. The Spirit helps us to face our reality, heightens our thinking, heightens our focus, heightens our ability, and heightens our sensibilities. If you've been a Christian for a while, I'm sure you've had moments where you see more clearly, you feel more deeply. When, uh, when we're talking about planting this church and replanting, there was a joke going around that God was calling the one who doesn't love anyone to love a whole bunch of people. Six years ago, I didn't love anyone. Well, I did. You're looking at him. <laughs> I didn't know how to love people. 
But before we planted, I had a mental and emotional breakdown, which meant I was in bed for nine months. And I was shattered. And I was not sure whether I was going to ever work again. I knew I couldn't preach. I was having anxiety every single day. And do you know what? God, God graced me with that. So that when I planted a church and somebody else came up to me and said, I'm struggling, I wouldn't go, well, build a bridge and get over yourself. Be better, do better. I would say, oh man, I know what it's like to go through some stuff. Right? So the Spirit of God helps you to see more deeply. And I hope that if you've been in our church for a little while, that you would say, I'm better at loving than I was six years ago. And hopefully in six more years, I'll be better at loving more than I am today. And six years from then, I hope that I'm better at loving and caring than I was six years from now, right? This is what the Spirit of the living God does. He, he helps us to hear more discerningly, to walk more carefully. This is the work of the Spirit. So instead of drinking to deal with our stress of the job, we spend time with the Lord. We open up His Word and we pray. Instead of getting frustrated just with our, our kids and our children, and we don't know how to act... Instead of going to something else and tapping out, whether it's Netflix or it's just games on the computer, we actually, no, no, we engage because we're engaging with the Spirit of God. I love what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, Lloyd says. He's, he's written a book uh, called Life in the Spirit and Marriage, Home at Work. He says this. The title of his, of his piece was The Stimulus of the Spirit. He says, writing is both a physician and a pastor. He helpfully compares and contrasts two states of drunkenness and the spirit's fullness. He says, wine, alcohol, pharmacologically. Hey, I got that word right. Hey, practice that one. I won't say it again, though. Speaking is not a stimulant. It is a depressant. Take any book on pharmacology and look up alcohol and you will find always it is classified among the depressants. It is not a stimulant. Further, it depresses first and foremost the highest centers of all in the brain. They control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest. What the Holy Spirit does, however, is exactly the opposite. If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants. For that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our very faculty, the mind, the intellect, the heart and the will. I love this because what, what Paul has done in this one little thing is he says it's not, it's not being just like drunk in the spirit and being wild and crazy and kind of having these, these kind of strange moments where we're, we're out of control. It's like there's a sense of control, but then there's also a sense of stimulation that God is moving you forward. And so you see this even in this passage because after it, after being filled with the spirit, they're singing with joy. They're moved to one anotherness. You see this over and over and over again. We're enthused, we're filled with joy and power. And so how do we be filled with the Spirit? Well, let me compare Colossians 3.16 with Ephesians 5. This will come up on the screen. Colossians 3.16 kind of summarizes it in a condensed way. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Look at the comparison of language. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So... The Holy Spirit has got to do the filling. The Holy Spirit wants to do the filling. But there is a sense in which we participate by allowing Him to fill us. We have to be continually 
filled with the Spirit. So we would say one baptism, multiple fillings. It's just continual, ongoing process with the Holy Spirit getting more and more control and influence of our lives and stimulating us. And so I just want to finish with four things I think we see in these two passages. If you want to be filled more with the Holy Spirit, number one, know the will of God through His Word. Colossians puts it, let the Word dwell in you richly so that you can know how to obey the will of God. Ephesians talks about knowing the will of God. The only way you can know the will of God is if you read his book. That's where you know the, that's where you know the will. How do my kids know my will? I tell them. We communicate. Here's bedtime. Okay? When they start getting cars and you know, driving or whatever, there's curfews. They're going to know the will of God because they're in a relationship with uh, the will of Dad, which is, which is the will of God. Uh, they'll know that. They'll come to know that. There is no separation there. Uh, how will they know the will of the Father? It's because they're in relationship with the Father and they constantly are learning and journeying in relationship with that. Right? It's exactly the same. So the only way we can know the will of God is to read the book where His will is. So, so Paul wants to say to Colossians, here's how you are filled with the Spirit. Here's how you're led by the Spirit. Here's how you're influenced by the Spirit. Get the word of the Spirit into your life. Read the book, read the book, read the book, read the book, and you will learn more and more and more about God's will, and you'll be able to discern that. Grow in the word of God with others. Notice how uh, Colossians says, teach, admonish. Ephesians talks about submitting to one another. This is, this is a communal thing. This is us together. This is not just a you independent of yourself no, no, one of the ways that we're more filled, more controlled, more influenced by the Spirit of God is by being with God's people where we are sharing the Word and we're challenging each other about our lives. A Spirit-filled church is not just a Bible church. It's a communal church. It's a family church. It's community. Worship God with joy. See that in both passages. Spirit-filled church is not just a Bible church. It's a singing church. It's a worshipping church, categorized by joy. You see this over and over and over again. To sing to God, to sing songs, it shouldn't be something like, oh, praise the name. Yeah, we've heard this one. No, it's like, when you think about, like, oh, praise the name of the Lord Most High. The one who died for me, rescued me. There's a sense that the church comes together and it sings, lifts its voice. It sings psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness and joy. I love that. And then lastly, be filled with thankfulness. In both passages, it tells us that the church that is spirit-filled is a thankful church, a grateful church. In other words, we are constantly thinking, we are constantly mapping out time to say, what are we grateful for? And that's important because you and I live in a context where we see everything we don't have. So we now get to see all the rich people and how they live, and we go, oh, I'd like that. You see the cars, oh, I'd like that. We have Instagram, I love that. They look like they're living. And so what our culture is cultivating is envy, entitlement, and dissatisfaction because we're constantly looking at everything we don't have. And the gospel of grace comes to our hearts and says, stop looking at what you don't have and look at what you do have. You have everything because you have Jesus. 
and he died for you and he rescued you and he's made a way for you and he is helping you and he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Every meeting you go to, his spirit will be present. Every time you have a difficult conversation, his spirit will be present. Everything that you're struggling with, he is present with you wanting to help you. We should be the most grateful people in the world because yes, I don't have that. But I got this. And this person named Jesus does not compare to that. Amen? So if we want to be a spirit-filled church, we need to be a Bible church. If we want to be a spirit-filled church, as the band come up, we want to be a communal church. If we're a spirit-filled church, we want to be a joyfully singing, worshipping church. And if we want to be a spirit-filled church, we need to be a thankful, grateful church. And it seems to be that as we start to live out these things, the spirit starts to move in his great power. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but I know what's coming up tomorrow for me. I know what's coming up on Wednesday for me. I know what's coming up on Friday for me. I know I need the Spirit. I need His help. And so today, as the bands sing, uh, we're going to take communion. But if you need the Holy Spirit to help you in any way, whether that's work, relationships, healing, wisdom, discernment, whatever it may be, we would love to pray for you and ask that God the Holy Spirit would help you. And I can tell you, we've been hearing stories over the past few weeks of just the different ways in which God is answering and moving in people's lives, which is so incredible. And we are so thankful. We want to keep asking God, God, keep helping us. Help us to be more like your son, Jesus. Make us more holy. Help us to get into your word. Help us to be grateful. Help us to do community better. And Lord, help us in all of these other things. And here's the truth. The Holy Spirit wants to help you. So we ask Him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.